I'm Dean Jackson. He's Joe Polish. And this is the I Love Marketing Podcast. Everybody, it's Dean Jackson and Joe Polish, and welcome. Guess what? <laughs> what? Here we are. <laughs> what we're gonna do? What are we gonna do? No. So here's what I want to do. Uh, I just uh, I just got back yesterday again from uh, Tucson, Arizona. I actually drove down to this place uh, twice in the last two weeks, just because they have this big um, gem show, which yeah is really just cool. You can buy just a lot of... I just bought a whole bunch of really cool artwork and cool oh, you furniture. you went back to the gem show again? Went back there. Went back. And plus, you know, it's it's like a nice time of the year here, and it gave me an opportunity to drive with my girlfriend, and we listened to, you know, Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art. You know, Stephen is a good friend of mine, and, you know, he wrote that book in the early 2000s, and I've interviewed him. Gosh, I think first time I interviewed him was back in 2003 or something. Um, but I just love that that book, and I got it on audio, so we listened to some of that. But we, we went down and uh, yesterday had uh, breakfast with um, – my buddy Craig Fort, who you know, and he's uh, I do. He's, he's a direct response marketer in the real estate industry, and just a really sharp guy. I mean, I've known him for probably twenty years, and I've interviewed him in the past, had him speak at conferences in the past. Uh, you know, did all kinds of stuff when I used to run my platinum group for the professional, you know, cleaning and restoration industry. I had him come down and take people through how to do marketing plans and all kinds of stuff along those lines. Uh, and he's not a guy who speaks. I mean, I think the only last time he spoke was whenever I would have him come and, you know, be a guest at one of, one of my events. Cause that's not his, his deal. His deal is, you know, he's got, I think he's had like 38,000, um, realtors as clients and <clears throat> I don't know how many of them he currently has that are active right now, but you know, he's just, mm-hmm. he's done a lot, but this mm-hmm. like me and you, he's, he's a direct response guy and he, which is, is really about, uh, persuasion and psychology. And he, he wrote this thing years ago. I don't know how he compiled it or when or where, but I actually have a, um, I have it with me and, uh, we may even do an episode with him on this. We should actually, I was thinking the same thing. But I, 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 my my take is you don't have it in front of you, Dean, but I have it in front of me. And I was thinking kind of going through it because there is some great uh, – Yeah, I remember here. reading it. Yeah, and so it's it's called Craig's Observation and Notes on Human Behavior and Persuasion. And whenever he would create marketing campaigns and sit down and write copy, he would use this as kind of a way to get his mind in the right place to sit down and design the offer in the ad and the promotion and and to to communicate as effectively as he could uh, with his you know prospects with his clients. So I'm I'm going to just go down this list and read some of these, and then I want to get your take on it. And we'll talk about it. Okay. Some of these. Yeah. So the um, the first one is you cannot instill or create 
a desire or problem in people. You can only awaken one that already exists in their minds. Example, Mm -hmm. you cannot sell a weight loss program to thin people. This supports the most important ingredient in successful marketing, list selection, finding the exact and only people with the immediate pressing problem or desire your product uh, addresses. So what's your take on that? Uh, That's absolutely true. I I think that that really goes into the idea of what compels people to take action. We talked about that last episode a little bit when we were kind of going through the AIDA formula, ADA, attention, interest, desire, action. And that what drives people is self-motivation, right? We're always driven by our own self-interest and we're going to take actions that are, you know, in alignment with what our self-interest is. And just like uh, Craig said, in order for somebody to even be interested in buying a weight loss program, they have to have a fundamental underlying desire to lose weight. Um, <laughs> or, or it's going to fall onto deaf ears. It's not even, uh, you know, it's not even going to show up on their radar. You know, it's just like, um, uh, you know, if you think about something that you have zero interest in, right? Like I have zero interest in how to become a ballerina. And so you could have the very best marketing and, you know, convincing argument of, as to why you're the best ballerina, you know, instructor in the world, but I have no desire to become a ballerina. So it's going to fall on, on deaf ears. But if you can tap into, uh, you know, an audience of people who have that desire, that's going to be, uh, it, you know, the right audience. You're speaking right, right to the right people. Yeah, so the, the, the whole thing of awakening one that already exists in their mind. See, one of the biggest frustrations I think people have is when they believe what they have is really going to help a lot of people, and then no one, no one responds to it, and no one is hiring them or you know going to their website or listening to their whatever or watching their videos or buying anything from them. And they, you know, they, they start to get the belief that people are stupid or, you know, people just, don't know what's good for them. And then they, you know, beat that message harder and harder and harder. And they're just riding a losing, you know, horse. And they think it's everyone else's fault versus their own ability uh, to communicate. What are you doing over there? You sandpapered or something? You're making all kinds of weird noise. I'm not making any noise, am I? Uh, it sounds like you are, unless we got unless we got some oh, really? person on, on, the, on the line who's like, you know, making noise in the background. <laughs> Which is possible. <laughs> Look, you know. Uh, 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 we may have some sandpaper, uh, sandpaper <laughs> going on. Dean, 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 so what Dean does is in between episodes, he actually knits, uh, you know, knits little buffets yeah, for. Here, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, or he's sandpaper. He's making a ship. He's building his ship right now. <laughs> you can uh, find my ship on Etsy.com. I'm going to start selling them. <laughs> One ship per episode. <laughs> Oh, man. That, that would be I, comedy. I've got it, Joe. I finally have figured out our monetization strategy. I'm gonna For I Love Marketing? I'm gonna, <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm going to whittle. I'm going to whittle a duck or a ship or something on every episode. 
<laughs> and I'm going to set up an Etsy store and sell it to the highest bidder. Yeah, that's funny. You, you, you know what? You know what the beauty is of having uh, successful clients in other arenas is that we're not forced to have to do anything to try to monetize this or accept sponsorship dollars from people that we think are assholes. I mean, <laughs> you know, I know a lot of my buddies who are doing these podcasts and they're making like a killing off of it. I mean, far more money than we're making on I Love Marketing and stuff. And they're like, "Oh yeah, I've got this company over here that's paid me." And I'm like, I, I would never take anybody for that person or try to stick them on some of our clients. I mean. It's Stupid! Are you kidding me? Oh, it is so, so funny. <laughs> no, but there are some people. We, we, there are there are some companies actually would probably be smart for us to do sponsorship deals with for I Love Marketing that would be really beneficial and really helpful. Although to everybody, we, yeah, yeah. But although we recommend people all the time without any affiliate stuff whatsoever. See, here's 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 a good thing too. Call it just ignorance or just. You know, maybe there's a slight humanitarian process here of us being just good guys and not really giving a shit that much. Is that we recommend a lot of people all the time that we don't have to like say, oh, you know, you're gonna you know, go through our affiliate link here in order to do stuff. I mean, I, right, 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 yeah. right. So anyway, that's neither here nor there. But I like the ship making ship things. That's that's actually fun. We can also maybe do this stuff on treadmills that we could self-generate electricity and we can sell that. I mean, there, there could be. There could be all kinds of stuff. And and I, I do want to mention something, too, because the, the one thing in here about list selection, finding the exact and only people with the immediate pressing problem or desire your product addresses, I mean, if you want to save yourself as a business owner and marketer a tremendous amount of unnecessary suffering, uh, just realizing, you know, picking a quality uh, audience of people to communicate to is far, far better and requires more discipline than quantity. I mean, this is the day and age where people are like, how many views can I get? How many shares can I get? And they just want, you know, they get excited about massive amounts of people supposedly seeing stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, I don't know, about two weeks ago, um, during you know when my birthday, I was sent this this ridiculous uh, crate from my friends uh, Sheila and Patty. That, yeah. And you know, I'm sitting there, and so I decided to have my friend Ivy. Um, and uh, who else was back there with me? It wasn't Crystal, was it? No, it was no, Jordan. Jordan, 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 my my yeah. yoga instructor. And so right. they're they're videotaping me. I said, you know, on the iPhone, let's just videotape me opening this box because this is gonna be so stupid. And there's this little crowbar that I have, this little flimsy crowbar, and and it's called it's this company Man Crate, and they just you know, send gifts out. And it's this clever way of taking a uh, a crate and making it really hard and difficult to open it up. It's all glued together, you know, and it's got nails in it and stuff. And, you know, it's it's a way to just monetize a bunch of stuff thrown in there and, and make it a unique gift. And so I videotaped yeah. this thing, and it's like four minutes of me opening up a box. With I know. And that, that video, I think, now has been viewed like almost 6,000 times. And it's just, I, it. I mean, the fact that people would sit there and watch that. But you know, at the end of the day, like it, you know, has, has that done anything? Has it made sales? Maybe. I mean, it's it's certainly if you if you tally up, you know, however many people watched it all the way to the end, which certainly isn't everybody, but there's an enormous amount of human time that is spent looking at that stuff, oh, and yeah. and people will do all kinds of stuff to get views, 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 or how many people have shared this, or how many clicks. You know, it's like back in the day when people were like, how many hits to your website? We would say, you know, what hit stands for is how idiots track success. You know, how, mm-hmm. how, many, how many hits you got. And so the, thing, the same thing, you can literally get rich in business with like a few hundred people 
that you really bond with and really love and listen to and pay you money and refer to you. And it's just list selection is where it's at. I mean, targeting the right audience of people that really desire, uh, you know, something and and it may not be even on a consciousness level because Steve Jobs was a master at awakening a desire that already existed because people would always use the cop out. Well, you know, people didn't know they needed an iPad. No, well, it's it's not, it wasn't even about the iPad or the iPhone or, or the iPod or any of those things. It was what those things allowed people to do that they already Mm -hmm. had the desire to do. It enabled something that people wanted to do. It had nothing to do with, and and again, I mean, you're talking just an incredibly, you know, uh, clever, smart, aware person who knew how to take what people wanted and build, you know, a technology solution or opportunity around it. And Steve Jobs would always say it wasn't even about the technology. It's about the psychology. Right. It's about what people, you know, really wanted. So, uh, th- uh, and that's our first, um, you know, profit activator, which is narrow your focus and select one target market at a time. Yeah. And narrowing focus is way, way, way more difficult and more of a discipline. And I, I usually do not use the word discipline in this particular uh, arena. Discipline is really uh, valuable because focusing mm-hmm. for me is especially hard. And had I not learned that um, early on, you know, it, I don't think I I would have uh, had anywhere near the level of success that I had with. Mm-hmm. Going back to my carpet cleaning company and just focusing my efforts on, you know, teaching, you know, marketing to the unwashed masses versus teaching it to a niche. You know, there's, you know, the whole mm-hmm. there's riches and niches, you know, there it's true. There are riches mm-hmm. and niches. And the more you can niche your, your message and niche your audience, uh, you just have less things you have to pay attention to. So it all starts with that. that that's where it all starts. And then I think everything, uh, that's the foundation of, of where you know, selling uh, and marketing. And then you you just build the, the copy and the offers and the premise and everything else well, off of that. It's, sometimes you have to make a couple of steps to get somebody to understand what your offer is, where you're coming from, you know, especially if it's a complex thing or it comes with some kind of, um, you know, preconceived notions, or there's a, um, they're not even aware of a solution. You know, oftentimes people will try and, and come at somebody, they select an audience of somebody with a problem who, who largely is an invisible audience. You can't get a list of them and they'll just start presenting the message of what their solution is. You know, they'll start just hammering people with the solution without really uh, taking the time to attract the attention of the right audience. And so you can do that by thinking about what's the sort of immediately adjacent audience or mindset or, um, you know, come from that somebody has to be in order to be the right person to hear your message or what do they have to believe first before they're ready to hear your offer? You know, and that's where if you can get people uh, if you can compel people by being the thing that is kind of the 
first step onto the platform that's going to get them to to where you want uh, to where you want them to go. That's really where the magic is. So often you have to kind of let go of your need to convince people about something right off the bat and just think from their standpoint, what is it that they really want? What's the thing that they would love to, to see right now? Um, you know, I, I give a couple of examples. Um, so let's say, um, I've got a, I have a friend in Toronto who does branding and packaging for hockey players, people who have either college or pro aspirations. And that is kind of a, a specialty that a lot of people don't know that they need. But I, I, I've talked about this from um, the standpoint of getting your mindset right and understanding what really is going to compel people to take the next step, right? Like nobody's going to be that interested in branding and packaging their, their kid as a hockey player, unless there is some, uh, unless they're of that mindset first. So what they really want though, and, and, you know, this is in Toronto, um, so if you're, if you have aspirations to be an NHL hockey player, Toronto is like a blessing to be born there because that's where they all come from Ontario. You know, it's, it's a high probability that everybody knows somebody who from their town has made it to the NHL. So the parents kind of you know, take that mindset that it's a, it's a viable career path, that there's a possibility that they could play in the NHL. And they always comfort themselves with the real uh, possibility of a plan B, which is that they'll get a hockey scholarship to the United States. And so they continue to invest, you know, twelve or $15,000 a year for their kid to play elite hockey. So those are the kind of people who this kind of branding would be. They don't know that they need it yet or don't know. Well, say, well, say that again, that, that this kind of branding would be what? Because I heard some weird voice that's like disappeared. Oh, they, this would be this kind of branding <clears throat> is something that they don't know that they need yet. They don't know that they need this. And so, uh, by focusing on what it is that they want, first of all, which let's just go with the, the hockey scholarships, you know, by being the information that they would really love to have. So you put together a directory of U.S. hockey scholarships for 2015 and advertising that in the hockey publications and at all the arenas and on the hockey uh, websites and Facebook ads to the people who like these hockey organizations, gathering people who are saying, oh, that's the gold mine. That's the thing that I really want. So they ask for this directory of hockey scholarships thinking that that's the gold mine. But when they get it, what they really get is, uh, a directory with all the hockey scholarship programs, which immediately brings up the question of, 
Well, now what do I do? Now they're in a position to understand how do I make my kid stand out? How do I, you know, give my kid a better chance than, than somebody else? So they're ready to hear that message by taking that first step, you know? And so often there's, you have to kind of meet people where they are and, uh, and go from there. You know, it's like, it's kind of interesting. It's if, if you're, if you can think what has to happen or what is an, a sort of inevitability for if they do this, then that raises the chances exponentially that they're going to want to do the next thing, which is what your thing is. And so it's kind of, it's a really interesting skill to think like that, to think like a chess master and understand that sometimes taking that preliminary step is really um, even easier. Right, right. That, very cool. Cool. Well, I want to go into another one and talk about okay. it. So he, the, another one says, people act for self-serving reasons only, regardless of what they say or what you think. Tie your goods into what people want. They always want something in return, even charitable donations. Give it to them. Generally, people ultimately seek positive feelings from their actions or purchases slash expenditures. Um, that's a really powerful one, too. Uh, you know, some people their self-serving reasons are really so self-serving that they don't even care if you get anything in return. And other people, you know, say a charitable donation, you know, a lot of people try to convince themselves that, oh, you know, I just want to be, you know, a, a, an anonymous, you know, donor. And there are many of those things. And I mean, I, you know, I, I know I've done that and stuff. And at the same time, there's mm-hmm. feelings that I want. There's, there's, there's a certain level there's something, and you know, I've raised a lot of money for for charity, so I'm speaking to speaking to this. And one of the biggest mistakes that I see a lot of these foundations and causes do, especially when they're going after companies. I mean, at the end of the day, most companies want PR out of it. You know, they're going to make a donation, mm-hmm. they're going to make a charity, hopefully with something that they, you know, actually resonate with. But a lot of people, you know, they just do it because it's a it's a, it's a PR campaign, and. You know, and if if you're going to get money from someone for your cause or for whatever, because that's going to do something for them, great. But if you can actually create a real value, you know, I've I've had conversations which started with Dan Sullivan. You know, uh, we we did this whole outline together that he really you know built. I mean, it was really his idea. So I have to give him you know great credit for this called the you know Ten Times Planet, where you know don't ask someone to give you money for your foundation or your cause unless you can give them a 10 times return on their money. You know, so it's like, well, mm-hmm. could you could you imagine if you, you're going to make a donation to, you know, uh, anything? I mean, pick something to do with diseases or, mm-hmm. you know, feeding, uh, you know, homeless people or doing something for an animal charity and you were able to give something to these donors and it of course wouldn't have to be products you know that would cost you money so you're not like selling products but you actually would give them education as an example or something that had enormous value to them but had very little you know uh creation cost to you and so mm-hmm. even when I started doing my trips to Necker Island you know initially I would go to these you know, 
charity events and I would see these red carpet things and they would just have a bunch of people together and a lot of people drinking and getting dressed up and acting like they're super cool and you would see people get up on stage and talk and do this and that and give away awards and acknowledgement and people are hoping they would get a picture with a famous person and at the end of the day you know people would spend thousands of dollars and some of them made some pretty good connections but they had to work to make those things happen they it wasn't built in to create value for the people and I was like going well if I'm going to organize things and knowing that people want to go spend time with Richard Branson how can I also organize a brainstorm event how can I organize like a seminar so people could pay you know a lot of money to come to Necker Island or a nice location as an example but they would walk away with all this incredible connecting with other individuals all this incredible learning and so you know one of the the, the things where I just drives me nuts is when I'm uh, dealing with, and I mean dealing with, you know, talking with people that are so vested in their cause and they believe just because it's an important cause to them, it should be really important to everybody else. And it it isn't, you know, because people do things for their reasons, not for your reasons. And, And there are a lot of things that I think, you know, every human being should genuinely you know, have a lot of incredible interest in. For 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 instance, I think most problems in in the world, from wars and lifestyle to diseases and all kinds of things. Are you building the ship again, Dean? You're making an enormous amount of noise back there. I don't know what the hell you're doing. I'm sorry. What are you doing back there? I mean, well, are you tra- I just, I, <laughs> no, I I walked I walked over to the uh, counter to get this thing that I'm going to talk about next. No, did it cure you that we're recording a podcast here? These things cause noise. What? I want to hit the mute button. Well, I didn't know I was. I didn't know it was making noise. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, I can't, I kind of lost my train of thought where I was going with that. We, you know, I oh, I do totally thrown you. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you completely threw me off. I was like, I'm like going, you know, you're, you're making you're making a, an incredible amount of uh, of noise here. Anyway, I think the whole point I was trying to make is that, uh, you know, people that want you to just give, to, like, oh, I was saying addiction. I was saying addiction. I mean, uh, like, one of my biggest things that I want, you know, if I could put money uh, and resources behind anything, it would be uh, finding ways to bring um, uh, healing and recovery. Yeah to people that have addictions, the brain disease of addiction, because that causes so many, you know, problems. But, you know, I mean, some people don't care at all about that because they're not addicted to anything. They don't really quite understand it, and it's never affected, you know, them uh, too much. But, you know, I mean, I'm not delusional about the fact that I have to select the right list of people to to get behind things related to that. So going back to people act for self-serving reasons only regardless of what they say or do, tie your goods into what people want. They always want something in return, even charitable donations. Give it to them. See, that's the whole thing. Give it to them. You know, if someone's going to give you a charitable donation, what can you give back? One of the things I say to donors is, do you realize that the vast majority of people that are giving you money will continue to give you money over and over and over again unless they feel like all you're doing is extracting something for them and you and you have the attitude that you feel entitled to it. Just because you think your cause is important, they should feel your cause is important too. Just because you think your product or service is great, that doesn't necessarily mean that's the experience they're having. So, so generally people will ultimately seek positive feelings from their actions or purchases and expenditures. And that's a simple thing and a subtle thing. People do business with people they like. And and I learned that very much from Gary Halbert. And, you know, the more that you can create just this 
awesome, like, ah, you know, it's like the after-dinner minute at a restaurant. You want people to have a good taste in their mouth. So how do you provide that, and what are you currently, you know, not doing that that you could provide that? I met with a company yesterday that had to give uh, someone a $14,000 refund uh, for services that they absolutely were convinced they did everything in their power to deliver ethically and all kinds of stuff, but to, in order to maintain the relationship, uh, you know, and they talked with me about it. I said, you know, give them their money back. You know, that's it, 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 figure out what you could have done in advance to have, you know, created a different experience. So, it, you know, in their minds, they were right. They didn't do anything wrong. Why should we, you know, on principle, I don't want to give this money back. And, you know, but at, at the end of the day, I'm like, well, you don't want anyone, you know, f- you know, thinking that you guys actually didn't provide you know, a great service to them. And this is, this will become, if you use it in the right way, the best form of consulting that you ever paid for. But this is not consulting that you went into, like, excited about. This was forced upon you. Uh, but you're going to learn more from that sort of experience. And so I saw on their whiteboard at their company, because uh, I went to dinner with them last night, and I went and met them at an office real close to the restaurant because I had not seen their new office location. And I went and saw on the whiteboard, and it was a whole customer experience sort of things. and I could see all the things that were changed as a result of that one experience of saying, okay, you know, what could, what could we – it wasn't – it had very little to do with – you know, what they delivered, it had to do with creating positive feelings once someone was engaged with them at a certain level of time that, that changed the the entire experience with people. So, you know, having well, positive... I just listened to... Uh, I just went out this uh, weekend. I was driving out to um, St. Petersburg. I went and played golf with Kevin Harrington. And I was listening to the um, 10 Times Talk on the Experience Transformer which is exactly that. It's the, the greatest, life's greatest teacher, right? Is experiences like that, looking at it and, and turning it into a, a transformative experience, just like you were describing. Yep, exactly, exactly. So, so, so is there anything else you want to say about? Oh, yeah, yeah, what, all that noise was about that I went to pick up. I have um, Ilko DeVor sent me the coolest thing I'm sure he sent you one of his uh, Necker notes. Have you seen this? Oh yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, they they, uh, they were they're you know they're awesome. I mean, he 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 sent me a whole bunch of. He's actually going to be at his first 25k meeting uh, this week. Oh, perfect, cool. Yep. Um, yeah. So he's uh, he's just an incredible note taker. He came to the um, Breakthrough Blueprint in London. And had this, you know, he's got this big leather-bound journal that he carries, and he just takes pages and pages and pages of notes. But he turned all of his uh, Necker Island notes from 2013 and 14 into this, you know, beautiful full-color catalog of just sound bites and notes and pictures from uh, from Necker. It's really beautiful. Pretty cool. Yeah, did you, did you see all those? Um, did you see all those pictures of me in there? Were you excited about that? I did. I was, you know, I, I've circled my favorites, dog-eared the pages. <laughs> no, he actually did it. He did a great job. That book is. He really cool. did. I, I saw that. I was like, "Oh, that's wonderful." So, what's the biggest takeaway out of that for you? Um, of seeing this, uh, you know, this just this type of of note taking 
you know, he takes notes as if it's like, um, as if it's kind of advice to his future self that's reading the notes, you know, it's like whatever the insight was at the time, not even so much just the literal, uh, translation of it but the question that it brings up so it's it's, uh it's pretty cool yeah yeah no it is it is i wish uh i wish everyone listening could actually see a copy of that maybe we'll talk him into selling them or something because they're they're actually pretty cool they Um, really are all right i'm gonna say another one and i want to get your take on it so uh, yeah. People hold certain beliefs. Then they look outward into the world for so-called facts to validate those beliefs, to reinforce that they're okay. They will hold on to those beliefs to the death. The ego attaches to them, even in the face of overwhelming proof to the contrary. Do not try to change core beliefs. Instead, tie your products into them. Harmonize with them. Mm, that is a brilliant idea. And that, you know, I I got another example there. That's why so much of this, um, so so much of what we do has to kind of have a common ground. You have to have a a landing point, a place where your your, uh, completely new thought uh, intersects with their existing beliefs. And that little sliver, no matter what, how small that sliver is of that little intersection, like a Venn diagram, that's the commonality. That's where to start. And slowly you can kind of inch people into believing or understanding more of your point of view. And I got that really began um, in 1996, I think, was when I read for the first time Jerry Spence's book, called How to Argue and Win Every Time. And it was really fascinating to me to understand where he's coming from. He said essentially what Craig is saying, that you know you, you can't just go in and try and, and pummel somebody into believing what you believe. You have to start with the common, with the common ground. So fast forward to here's how we apply that. So um, uh, I have a friend in client here in Winter Haven who does um, hypnosis. And that alone, those words, hypnosis and uh, hypnotism is really sometimes heavy laden with resistance or false beliefs or, you know, something that people think that it's some kind of uh, magic or they wouldn't, they would discount it or not immediately seek it out because they, they don't, it's not in their world. It's not in their, their realm of belief. So um, go, taking this mindset where, if you want to work with people who say want to lose weight, where can you find that intersection? You know, where can you find the, um, the thing that the people who you do want to be in conversation with have in common? And I think that we can all agree that everybody um, who has tried to lose weight has come up against willpower, the thing that is – uh, you know, where they, they start out with the best of intentions and then willpower um, 
intervenes and you can only go so far on willpower. And so getting, if you start with that, where everybody who has tried and, um, and not succeeded in losing weight or succeeded for a short term, but, um, fell back, everybody would, would agree with that. So, um, I had, um, Julie write a, uh, doing a 90 minute book called willpower schmill power. Why trying to lose weight almost never works and what to do instead. And now that instead of saying, get yourself hypnotized and, and lose weight, it's starting with something that everybody can believe everybody can relate to. And when you start the conversation by talking about willpower and how, you know, uh, describing what happens and how it all, everything goes fine first and then it gets to a point where it becomes overwhelming and, and you lose the energy to, um, to keep up that change in behavior. And the reason that is, is because it's not really our conscious mind that's running the show. Our conscious mind is what willpower is, but what really drives everything is our subconscious. And the only way to change the subconscious is to bypass the conscious mind, go right into the subconscious and repattern, reprogram, put in new suggestions to the subconscious so that it makes the conscious things easier to do. So you can build that bridge. You start with one thing, go to the next thing. And now that they understand that, yes, I understand now why willpower doesn't work. And that's exactly why I haven't been able to successfully stick with my behavioral changes. Cause that's really what it is. Behavioral changes. And that if I could go in and talk to my subconscious and reprogram to get the desired behavioral patterns installed, that that would be helpful. So now they're more open to the idea of hypnosis, but you start where they are. And that's kind of where um, all good direct response really, you know, we get to a point where we meet people where they are and then take them to where you want to go. Do you remember Gary Halbert always used to talk about the, how you, you know, how a little tugboat can pull a big, you know, ocean liner and they don't start out with the big rope. They start out by shooting a little line over the, the bow and then they keep pulling it in and that is attached to a little bit thicker line. And that line then is attached to a little bit thicker rope. And that rope is then attached to a big chain. And by the time you get to where the chain is what's connecting the tugboat to the ocean liner, that tugboat can direct the ocean liner wherever it wants to go. A little tugboat going there. That little tugboat. <laughs> I just I, there, there's a lot of analogies that could be made with uh, with that little tugboat and with of course everything that you said, yeah. But I'm just I'm going to fixate on my subconscious mind is just taking that tugboat in right now. 
Well, you know, I also want, so I want to mention, too, like uh, Jerry Spence's book, uh, you know, How to Argue and Win Every Time, is really a fantastic book. I wonder what happened to yeah. him. I should, I should look him up. I mean, he's... We should. I was just thinking that same thing. He's in, he's in Jackson Hole. Um, and I, I've just been revisiting the most impactful books that um, from the 90s that I was reading back then, right? Like you look at, you know, Influence is one of those wisdom books, uh, Bob Cialdini. That, that book is, you know, as important today as it was then, maybe even more important. We have a different understanding of it now with 20 years of experience applying influence. So every time our, our experience is deepening our understanding of it, um, same thing with, with how to argue and win every time. It was one of those wisdom books that is not you know, attached to anything that was sort of timely and topical and is now irrelevant. That's one of those things that I've used the lessons of that again and again and again. And uh, the other one that I was thinking about that would probably be a great thing to revisit now is there was a book uh, called The One-to-One Future that was written, I believe, in 1996 because Eben Pagan and I interviewed uh, Don Peppers and Martha Rogers um, when the book came out. And that was I think in 1996 or 1997, but it would be interesting to see now, 20 years later, how much easier it is to execute on what they were calling the one-to-one future back then, you know, taking, uh, you know, really building a one-to-one relationship with people. Um, Fascinating. Oh, well, you know, by the way, I actually interviewed a, author named Robert Weiss, uh, Weiss, actually, um, W-I-S-S. He on, he's probably the second top most recognized figure in the field of uh, sex addiction. And Pat Carnes, who I've actually interviewed several years ago, is the top doctor, but Pat's retiring soon, and, you know, they're friends, of course, and everything. And I actually interviewed him uh, a few days ago on sex addiction, uh, which was absolutely fascinating. And he has a book that recently came out called Always Turned On, uh, Sex Addiction in the Digital Age. And... There's, I actually happen to have the book right in front of me because it was, um, you know, I just recently interviewed him and I've got a bunch of things that I'm uh, doing in the addiction field. And so I'm going to be interviewing a lot of people on behavior addictions. And so um, he has, uh, in the introduction, he has a couple of quotes. Uh, this one's from Martha, 64-year-old grandmother. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up, it'll make sense in a minute, but she's like, when I was in school, it took me two days to type my senior term paper. Every time I made a typing error, it took me about five minutes to fix it. And this was after I'd spent 20 or 30 hours in the school library poring over the card catalog. Yesterday, my granddaughter started her paper at 9 a.m., and she was done by 3 p.m. Her research took about 20 minutes, and any changes she wanted to make took about half a second. As a grandmother, I don't know if I'm in love with digital technology, but I sure would have liked it when I was in high school. 
and then Ray, 37, Army Ranger. When I was a kid, my dad worked overseas for three months at a time, home for a month, gone for three, home for a month, gone for three. We sent letters back and forth every week, but most of the time it felt like he wasn't a real part of our family. And I know that my mom really felt abandoned. Today, I'm in the armed forces serving overseas, and it's totally different for me and my family. I see my wife every day on Skype. We talk about everything using webcams and texts, as if I'm right there with her. Last week, she took her iPhone to my kid's basketball or my kid's baseball game and turned on the webcam. I watched the whole game. It was awesome. I even went to ice cream with the family afterwards, even though I'm a thousand, thousands of miles away. And so now, obviously, the whole point of that is how things change. But you talked about, you know, the ease of doing stuff. There, there is, I learn more by going back to things that were written years ago. I mean, in some cases, yeah. decades ago and applying them to modern day life because there's so much wisdom that gets lost because, you know, even books where someone's saying Blackberry, think people think the the book is outdated because it doesn't say iPhone or doesn't say, you know, whatever. It doesn't say Android. Oh, yeah. You know? and, and it's like you some of the greatest, you know, diamonds are mm-hmm. sitting there waiting for people if they really get to the timelessness of of the methodologies and some things that were, you know, that we had to figure out how to make work before the internet existed is so easy yeah. to make work today. But, but it's, it's amazing how many people are oblivious to it. They don't even know it exists. Oh, yeah. And so part of, yeah. you know, I think one of the things we can serve here at I love marketing is just remind people that you can, you know, dust things off the shelf that most people are ignoring chasing afternoonness when all you need to do is, look at what has been proven to work over and over again and bring, you know, bring it back to uh, your own situation and bring it, you know, bring it back to life. I mean, it's always there. Mm-hmm. I mean, many people are doing this all day long and some of the sharpest people on the planet, I mean, they're just looking at stuff that was done, you know, 50, years ago. If you want to be like a weight loss guru and you're not looking at who were the weight loss gurus from 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, and looking at what they wrote, what they said, how they communicated, what was their messaging, and putting it into a modern, you know, day version of uh, your messaging. I mean, you're, right. you're just creating a lot of unnecessary work for you because there are proven, timeless recipes and formulas that have always worked, will always work. They just need to be adapted to your existing situation. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway. Absolutely. Let me do another one. Um, okay, what? This one is... Yeah, never argue. No one's mind has ever been changed as a result of an argument. People have a very human and very intense form of illogical stubbornness, even for something they'd actually like or prefer, or in the face of overwhelming proof. People resist being told what to do. So rather than argue or confront them directly, use psychology by tiptoeing through the side door and planting emotional passion bombs in their heart and head. Then watch the reaction. Use tactics such as takeaway. And in parentheses, you probably wouldn't like this. Uh, This may not be for you. Another one is consensus. 3,400 other dentists got it. Or tease. You can't have it yet. Urgency. I don't think there are any more, but you should come (laughs) check right now. So there's a lot of wisdom in that that little Mm -hmm. paragraph. So any thoughts on that? Well, I like the word passion bombs. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, know, I, no, I, I, I love this. Use psychology by tiptoeing through the side door and planting emotional passion bombs in their hearts and heads and then watch the reaction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
I think that is true that so often, you know, there is like, that's all those things of influence. You know, if you look at, at uh, Robert Cialdini's, you know, the six weapons of influence, those are, those are the kind of things that plant those, those bombs, you know, those are the kind of things that just, it's like that uh, immediate response that we have. As soon as you hear something, as soon as you see it, you, you we're helpless against it. You know, it's so funny how um, scarcity in particular really works that way, that way, you know, like something when there's nothing as compelling as a legitimately diminishing supply of something that was <laughs> readily available. Right. And I say legitimately because it's, I, also, I see the funniest thing when people are, you know, selling their digital product and there's only, you know, 76 copies left or, you know, we're shutting the door forever and all these things where they try and smuggle in the scarcity, you know, but there's, uh, there's nothing like legitimately a diminishing supply of something. And we're okay, also can, against can, it. Can I mention something that's it's not quite exact the same thing, but it's very similar. And I mentioned I went to the gem show, and I've gone to this place twice in the last couple of weeks. Now, the reason I did... Is it every weekend or something? No, no. Like, it happens in Tucson. It's one of the largest shows in the entire world. People uh, literally travel in and ship things in from every continent on the planet. And, it, and some of the stuff there is absolutely gorgeous. I never in a million years thought, because I heard about this thing. How long does it, how long does it go on? Uh, some of them close uh, three weeks, the longest one, as far as I know. Oh, I got you. Some, some are open for a week, some for two weeks, and some for an entire three-week period. And one of the re the reasons I went yesterday is because it was the very last day for like half of the things are already shut down. But there, there, there was the final day, and I was just simply curious to what they would. I mean, you can get stuff that you would see in stores, like. Jewelry stores in Scottsdale, as an example, or Sedona, or any you know any places where they would sell yeah. you know stones and gems and stuff that you can find stuff there for like a dollar that I've seen sold for a hundred dollars in other places. Mm. I mean, it's it's like if you're in that business, I mean, this is where people go, dealers and everything, to just buy their mm -hmm. stuff and convert it into more money and this other people are just into whatever. I mean, and there's all kinds of stuff too. I mean, it's not just gems and stones. It's like artwork. I bought a, you know, quite a bit of African art. I bought petrified wood stuff. I mean, all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, there's just like endless amounts of, of coolness there. Sure. But I wanted to see on the very last day. Oh, and also remember I mentioned that restaurant, the, um, Ethiopian restaurant I went in ate yeah. there again yesterday and I told them about ah you know I just did an episode with you on I love marketing so prepare yourself for you know you're going to probably start having people that come in and tell you that they heard about your restaurant on I love marketing so that was kind of cool and so um I wanted to see the sense of urgency I mean, now you're talking about a limited supply. Well, when you, you're in your last day, there's a limited supply of people that are now willing to give you money for stuff. And you either sell the stuff or ship it back or put it in a warehouse or whatever, wait till the following year. And I was just curious, and I don't know enough about the ins and outs of the business, so I'm still operating out of, you know, just ignorance here. Uh, but I was just curious as what would they sell some stuff for? And there was one thing where, and everyone's negotiating because a lot of the people where they come from, you know, countries, it's, it's nonstop 
negotiations. I mean, to the point of mm-hmm. like blatant lying about what they're willing to sell something for to see if you know you got some naive, you know, tourist that's going to give you. Ex- so they always start really high and then they'll go down. <clears throat> and this one guy, he had sold me like this uh, this really cool um, wall sculpture. And I had bought one of it, uh, one of them. He he started last time at uh, 250 bucks, and I ended up getting it for a hundred. <laughs> you know, last time I was down there, and it's just a game, you know, it's just fun. And so, and I bought it for my girlfriend. And so this, and, and I, but I thought it was really cool because I saw it over her house, and I was like, you know, I want one of those for myself. So I saw the same guy yesterday, and I'm like, how much for that? You know, and he's like. One hundred and seventy-five dollars. Now, of course, when I was there, you know, two weeks ago, it was two fifty, and I'm like, well, I go, don't you remember you sold me that for a hundred bucks like a couple, you know, a week and a half ago? So I told him, he's like, oh yeah, yeah. And he go, and so anyway, I ended up getting that and some other thing that he started at, I don't know, a hundred something bucks. I think I got both of them for like a hundred bucks. Uh, so I got it, and, you know, and it, it, part of it, and, and I wasn't getting, I'm one of these people that still feel guilty, although it's a negotiation. I, I just don't, I, I, I don't like chiseling people down on price. I'll engage right. in the whole negotiation game if, if they're doing it too, because I just think it's hysterical. But the thing yeah, yeah. is, just like the limiting amount of supply, it was amazing how many people, you know, I just wanted to see, like, oh, you know, how how much of this will they just, literally, they just want to get rid of at the very last day. And, you know, and it, it was absolutely true. There was a sense of urgency that wasn't yeah. there in the same way, you know, a week and a half ago. So having walkaway power is a really powerful marketing concept. Now, if you make it real, if you truly do have a real sense of urgency, that you know, if you really have a supply and demand thing, I mean, there, there's amazing amounts of stuff that can be done. You know, I mean, I like this this new BMW i8 hybrid, you know, vehicle that looks really cool. You know, the first yeah. one that that was is it out now or <clears throat> yeah, it 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 is out. Yeah, and oh, the okay. BMW. And so uh, I put a deposit on one, but the dealership down here they wanted to charge me fifty thousand over sticker, and I was like, oh. you know, just refund my deposit. I mean, any dealership that would do that, it, it was the way they were doing it. It wasn't, you know, I don't, I'm not one of these people yeah. like, but it was it's just cheesy the way they're doing it. And I even talked to the BMW i8 concierge guy. He's like, I can't, you know, I wasn't even aware to what degree some of these dealers and the tactics they're using to try to, you know, I mean, like the guy from BMW was upset about it. And yeah. but the very first one that that was sold in in America, I think it auctioned for eight hundred seventy five thousand dollars for a vehicle that wow um, you know has a sticker price. But that that's the whole thing though. That's you know supply and demand or first one to get it or whatever. And so the point is, if you're not utilizing that already built in human psychology in what it is that you are selling, I mean you're like you know Craig mentioned use tactics such as take away. You know, you probably wouldn't like this. This may not be for you. As soon as you say that to someone, all of a sudden they want it. You have people that want right. you, you know, oh, why should I buy for you? Why should I give you money? Well, as a matter of fact, you know, you, in, you know it's, just, it's just how it's how you do it. But you got to be legit with it. Like, for instance, right now for Genius Network, we have our annual event. No one can come to the thing by going to the website and just filling out a credit card thing and signing up. I mean, they have to go through an application process. And they have to have a conversation. And we're, we're even being very particular about, you know, how we go about doing it. Because some people, even if they come heavily endorsed, we, we're making everyone, 
you know, go through the application process. Now, a lot of marketers use it as a, as a sales tactic. It's a bullshit. I mean, they, everyone that fills out an application and gives them money, they're going to accept. You know, and, and I don't recommend doing that because you get found out real easy if you do that sort of stuff. But if you, if you truly have, like, a standard and a criteria, you know, and you, and you set that up, you will actually get far better clients. I mean, you'll, you'll just get people that, mm-hmm. and they come into it in, in a far more uh, appreciative sort of manner. So, you know, these are all very, you know, very utilized all the time from, you know, good businesses and good marketers, but people that don't quite understand the psychology of it, that's why it would make sense for you to go and read a book like Robert Cialdini's, you know, Influence and, and understand, you know, how and why people respond to it you know, respond to things right. the way that they respond. Uh, let me well, read one remember, more. <clears throat> no, go ahead. Go ahead. Say it. I want to read one more before I was just going to say, even up, just exactly what you were talking about, that even uh, in Jerry Spence's book, one of the ways that he talks about that is how to, how to um, you know, get somebody to try some possum stew. If, if <laughs> yeah. you've never tried it, right? And he goes through that whole thing of like, you know, just setting the stage, getting it and, Spicing it and the aromas of it and tasting it and wow that tastes good you know not everybody likes possum stew not <laughs> trying to say you should try this possum stew you know and you get their curiosity up so much that they're like well let me try just a little bit of that you know <laughs> right right no the, our, yeah it's so much it, easier when something is somebody else's their own idea you know yeah just just ev- evoking that level of uh, of curiosity <laughs> yeah it's huge. right now there's there's a lot of other ones but i want to mention this one just because it's it's so powerful and you know i think we should like go through these on future episodes cuz they're all i mean yeah. I, I love these things i hope that everyone listening is finding you know this commentary beneficial and useful i'd love to have everyone give their feedback on our on our make your comments on ilovemarketing.com but this one is the buying urge when people buy something the buying itself does not satisfy the urge it excites it that's why you need an immediate upsell at the time of purchase and have a strong back end and that one is so damn powerful because a lot of people think their job is I just if I could just sell them if I could just sell them and then they're like boom they make a sell and then they're like now we need to sell more people we need to sell more people and it's like do you realize that most people that buy things that that's not they're not done I mean if you took all of that effort and energy to give somebody what it is they want keep giving them like if I have an enjoyable buying experience where I got something that was like I mean I I could even go through my own life yesterday at this gem show in Tucson. I'm buying stuff, and then as soon as I get that one, you know, so there were there were vendors there. There were people hawking stuff that I, you know, I bought two paintings from this guy that were awesome. And, you know, but I, it, I only bought the second one because I bought the first one. I mean, it kind of got me into the whole mix, but I was really happy with it, and now the guy's going to be coming out here to um, uh, Scottsdale in like three weeks for an art show, and I'm going to take these pieces of art that he has, and there's another piece that he has, there's some other ones he's telling me about, and I'll, you know what, I'll probably buy more from this guy, because mm-hmm. you know none of it, it like satiated the urge completely, and, and that's right. not the, you know, I mean, that like that's why they usually have desserts which i rarely ever eat uh, at most restaurants because it's like how many times have you been at a restaurant and you're like someone's like, oh yeah i'm full and stuff dessert comes out up oh, they order dessert it's like well no they really weren't it was just a, it was just a switch you know that it was the sweet it was that sort of stuff and so the, the, the thing is 
every time you make a sale, like everyone listening, if you just got the whole concept that, you know, the buying itself does not satisfy the urge, it actually excites it, you can see an mm-hmm. opportunity for massive growth. And that's why upsells and having an opportunity for people to make an additional purchase and having your, yeah. you know, having your, you know, con- con- continuity of selling in place uh, is is critical. And even if you think, oh, well, they sold a car, they're not going to buy another car. I mean, but you'd be surprised what they would actually buy. I mean, they, they, you know, what else could you recommend? What yeah. is aligned with that sort of thing? Is it a service package? Is mm-hmm. it that sort of stuff? So this applies mm-hmm. to every aspect of your, you know, business and entrepreneurial endeavors. And it's it's often not only overlooked, but people actually don't even get that that exists. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think that's really, uh, it, it's like, it it sets that uh, that stage that you get into that motion where you don't want to own all the land, just the land that's next to yours. You know? <laughs> right. It's like, <laughs> it's like all those things. It's like the, the guy who gets a, a new driver, a new golf driver for Father's Day, and then all of a sudden, you know, the rest of his clubs look, you know, not as good in comparison. So he has to buy new golf clubs and then he needs a new bag and some new shoes. And suddenly he's got a whole new wardrobe and a country club membership, you know, all triggered by this driver. Right, right. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I went into Costco thinking I would like, oh, I'm going to buy you know razor blades or something. And I love going to Costco because to me it's it's almost like a therapeutic experience. But I also it feeds my marketing mind because I, I actually like Costco. I think they do a great job. Yeah. But you know, you go in there to buy something and like you walk out of there with like four thousand dollars later with stuff that you thought you, you needed. Right. You know. But it's right, it, yeah. it's beautiful because that's how those sort of places exist. I mean, they you know they they function from those sort of, uh, you know, inability for someone to be satiated. <laughs> and that's a whole, that, that could be a whole other addiction in and of itself as I'm sitting there talking about, you know, behavior addictions and whatnot. But, uh, yep. So that's it. That's a wrap for us on this episode. So, uh, any final last words, Dean? Well, I think that was a, uh, that was a fun episode. There's lots of wisdom. How many more of those are there? Oh gosh, there's probably like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, ten, eleven, twelve. There's probably about another uh, fifteen that that we can wow. speak to. So yeah, we'll do a few chapters of those. So there's uh, that's another episode. Then we should we should have Craig uh, come on and talk about them after we go through them. We'll have him come on. Um, I, we got. Uh, I think it would be cool to see if we could get uh, Jerry Spence to come on and I'd like to check in with, uh, with Don Peppers and Martha Rogers and see what they're up to with the 20 year anniversary of the one-to-one future. Yeah. Well, we have, uh, why don't you follow up with Jerry and them and we'll I see will. how effective you are since, you know, I'm, I'm usually the one always just to not, you know, get these people. You know, I mean, you need to do <laughs> some work here. Um, no, and for our, for our listeners, though, we're going to have some great guests that we have lined up that we're going to be doing episodes with uh, and some really awesome topics. And so, uh, you know, keep spreading the love. I love marketing.com. You can subscribe to this on iTunes if you have not done so and share these episodes with anyone that you think would listen to them. And of course, uh, you know, it's not like you're paying us to do these. So if you would be so kind, well, maybe you are. I mean, if, 
if you could be so kind as to send us money, that that's really kind of what I want to get to. Just Perfect. send us checks uh, made out to to me, preferably, and I'll I'll give Dean a couple <laughs> a couple percentage points. Um, now, just you know, share this on social media, tweet it, spread it, yell it from the rooftops. Uh, you know, run banner ads and busy freeways in Los Angeles that say I love marketing dot com. If anyone's willing to, you know, do that, I would. That would make me very happy. We will mention you on an episode as perhaps uh, just a nice person, and uh, that's it. That's it for now. We'll talk to everyone next All time. Right. So thanks for listening. Talk to you later. Thanks. Bye.